Welcome to the Redefined Life podcast. Today, we're speaking with Flex Chapman, who goes by at Flex Chapman with two X's on Twitter. And he is a co-founder of Krause House DAO, um, which when I discovered it, personally, I'm, I have never really necessarily been a fan of basketball. However, the mission of this DAO, it got me excited even though I couldn't care less about basketball necessarily. So can you just kind of give folks a quick, you know, two or two minute or less uh, kind of overview of what Krause House is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, very audacious goal. You, you nailed that. Um, we're essentially a community of basketball fans whose goal it is, is uh, to collectively own and operate an NBA franchise as a DAO. Um, you know, one of our, as lifelong basketball fans with the co-creator and I, Commodore, um, we've always been fans of basketball. We've been friends since uh, third grade, actually. So growing up playing and everyone reaches that that quintessential, probably like middle school, early high school, where you're like, I don't know if the NBA is quite built for me due to phys- physical <laughs> limitations, right? Oh, reality. Um, yeah, reality sets in. And so, but everyone who's been to a game or watched game on TV it, it, as a basketball fan, it's certainly crossed their mind. It's like, wow. Uh, it'd be awesome to own one, especially, you know, your home team. I grew up a um, Washington Wizards fan, unfortunately. So it's been a rough life, but you've just always like, Hey, this is something that I would love to do. And then that second piece of reality sets in where it's like most of the net worth of all the owners, including the minority ones are in the tens of millions. So, you know, all the way up to, to billionaires, such as, you know, Mark, Mark Cuban's probably the most famous one. Um, and you realize that's almost equally as, as out of reach. And so, um, one of the things we were thinking about was uh, we saw the DAOs, the whole concept of DAOs. And I've been in and out of crypto since probably 2015 or 2016. And when we saw this, this DAO revolution going, we said, hey, we should, we should think about starting one. And honestly, we started out as we, you know, we're product builders. Commodore started several companies. I've been a founder of one company myself. And original goal was to build some, some DAO tooling just because we were obsessed with DAOs and how it could impact human coordination uh, globally on the internet. So we were, we were going to do that and threw around a couple of bad ideas and we stumbled on, on, on Crosshouse and we were like, we we're really getting inspired because in true DAO nature, right? Um, like pulling together capital and having shared upside and, and, and doing things in this participatory economy, right? We think that's the future. And, um, you know, right now, because of how the NBA operates, it's, it's like I said, it's in a handful of billionaires. And so we were thinking, why couldn't groups of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, um, all collectively on the team and send a representative in a true democratic Republic fashion, uh, with, to vote on, owner related um, uh, topics and proposals, but that person is just representing the entire DAO, right? Based on 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 on-chain voting. And so we think that fan-owned and community-owned teams are inevitable. And so we thought, hey, like this is the sport we love. This is the organization NBA's organization that's um, of the big five has, has continued to show itself as, as, you know, uh, like thought leaders and pushing the boundaries and, and expanding globally. So we thought what better way to try to get involved and actually try to go and participate in ownership, um, as, as a community. That it's so awesome. Cause like, even as, like I said, I mean, even as somebody who isn't necessarily into basketball, there's such an air, a cultural air of like, um, owning a, a professional sports franchise is like mm-hmm. something badass. 
you know? And so, <laughs> um, so to be, have a, a system set up where it's like, oh yeah, I own, you know, a part of the wizards and, and not only do I own, you know, this, this, uh, you know, fraction of the team, but that gives me rights to, you know, vote in the decision-making or have these special privileges or things like that. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's yeah. a super, in, in super inspiring why, um, and mission and, uh, yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. Cause there's, there's some, there's some incredible DAOs out there. Don't get me wrong, but, um, uh, some of them, right. Could totally be centralized companies. I'm glad that they're DAOs, but like, um, they could totally spin up a LLC and do this as a, you know, co-founders and a traditional organization. And, um, one thing that's really our, our main wise for the reasons I mentioned earlier, where it's, it's like, um, we were like, man, I'm hoping one day I can have successful enough career and, um, maybe sell a company or two and, and then eventually own a team and say, well, uh, why don't we skip a step and why don't we just pull together basketball? Such a if basketball fans know there's something about, um, basketball. And I think it's, it's international ability. It's just, it just draws people in, just people get, get obsessed with it and their team. So, um, why couldn't we do that as a, as a unit? And so I, I love the fact that you mentioned, you know, it resonates regardless of whether you're a basketball fan or not, people kind of understand the general premise with that. This is out of the reach for 99.99% of humans. And so, um, maybe if we can all collectively do this together, we can, we can change that. Yeah. So you said, um, you had previously been uh, a developer and then you were thinking about doing DAO tooling and now you are primarily, are you primarily responsible for, uh, community stuff and, and non-dev work with Krauss Yeah. I think while we're, while we're still in the growth phase, it's, it's ironically, I'm doing everything except development, which is, which has been a change for me. So community building, um, a lot of product uh, documentation, some some growth marketing and things like that. So um, it's been quite this whiplash into what I thought this was going to be. Like we we generally wanted to build up this this DAO, but we weren't sure if enough people would buy into how crazy and, and audacious it is. People, I mean, our to be honest with you, our first hunch was that people would think it was some sort of uh, scam or um, you know like we weren't serious and everything like that. And our just, we've just been so pleasantly surprised that. So many people are, are resonating with this mission from all over the world um, that we were like, hey, okay, DAO tooling still sounds great. We can go and do that. But it's changed our whole thesis where now people are joining the community uh, with all different skill sets, wide variety. And and so we're, we're kind of, we're building open source software. There's some um, minority teams that have shown interest in having Crosshouse raise and, and fractionalize parts of their team uh, and to, to govern that organization. Um, we have, we've been approached by some athletes and some teams to do some NFT jobs. So it's like, we're really, we're all rallying together under this, under the central mission. Um, but we're kind of working on a couple of different projects to get there. So anything in the Krauss house that is essentially non-technical is what Tom and and I are, are responsible. And it's obviously little, there's guilds and things that we don't touch right in true Dow Dow fashion, but yeah, it's been quite the, it's been quite the, the change of gears for me, um, Hopefully we can get back into the more technical stuff. I mean, I just love, I love coding, but um, yeah, I, I, I touch more or less anything that is non-dev related, which has been quite an adjustment. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's, first of all, congratulations. And that is awesome that you guys are seeing all these signs of traction, you know, with, with having Thank teams you. reach out and, and players and just the excitement around it. Like I'm, you know, I, I feel a little bit like a broken record here with what I've been 
commenting on as far as like the mission and everything like that. But I mean, it is such an inspiring mission. I guess I'm not necessarily surprised. However, to actually have that be happening is is a whole nother thing from just having expectations. So that's that's so cool. Thank you. Um, so you'd mentioned that you'd previously been involved with with another company and, and starting a company. Did you have exposure or I mean, if you had been doing all the coding and stuff like that, I'm, were you involved with the community building of that previous company or how much exposure did you have to that aspect of it? If that was even a necessary component of your previous work? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, actually, no. In fact, it was probably the opposite. Um, just growing up, uh, you know, growing my, in my professional career and just and going all in on, on engineering and some product work too, like some high level product management and then design as well. But essentially I've been all in on product side of things that um, one of the reasons why I've just been obsessed with web three and I'm never looking back is because I very naively had probably a negative connotation of community. Cause I thought it was, I thought it was kind of like the marketing buzzword of 2020 and 2021 and people were spinning up product and feeling they were, they were trying to force um, the community side of things. So they had their product idea and like to, to, selfishly grow. They were like, oh, we also need community. So we're going to spin up this group and, and everything's like that. And um, I, like some people are, are, are still doing that. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I, like I said, I had a very, very wrong outlook on, on the whole community side of things. And so one of my, I don't want to say fears, but once starting this, I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to have to be the guy that grows the community now and kind of eat my words. And I was like, I felt a little bit like uneasy about that. And so once we started growing and I really saw the value of people getting together, rallying on a mission, helping each other out, I swung the complete opposite way. And I was like, look, I, I couldn't have been more wrong about the the need and necessity for community. So um yeah, I, ironically, I, not only was I not involved in that, but I wasn't so sure that you know community was. I, I'd say I'll put it like this: I thought that the hype around community was too much. I wouldn't say that it was worthless. Obviously, I, I knew that there's community out there that is really valuable, um, but I thought it was being used in the wrong way and kind of this hype cycle around it. Uh, and so, yeah, once catapulting into Web three, I see the I see the the strong value, and that I'm taking my product, and I'm happy to dive deep into this because this is kind of my mental model and underlying thesis for for growing communities, especially if you're a product related person. But I took some frameworks from I do from product and applied them community, and it's just so fun because I, I do like working with software, but using things like user research and interviews and experimentation, A/B tests, and applying that fra- those frameworks to community has unlocked this understanding um, that I, I I didn't think was possible before. And what's more fun is that you're doing it with 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 humans now, right? Like it, it, any iteration and and feature fix, right, for for lack of a better term, can help unlock more human collaboration is more fulfilling to me um, than unlocking a next feature on, you know, on a mobile app, let's say. Um, so so yeah, I've I've fully seen the value and uh, I, I absolutely love doing what we're doing now. Hmm. So there's two things in there that I want to, I want to kind of go back to. So first of all, when you said you, that you were kind of uneasy about that transition, um, having been so heavily involved with product uh, and development, going into community and having this, you know, uh, this strong opinion on mm-hmm. community, um, what kind of made you in that moment where you're like 
analyzing whether or not to like continue down this path or or sign up for this role. Like, what was that like, and and what was the tipping point that made you decide to just go for it and give it a shot? Yeah, I think I think once I saw the first few people coming, I I have like kind of two. Um, I think defining moments, especially early on, uh, there was, and one of them was when that first sounds, the number sounds so small, but especially if you're, if you're just getting started, it's super meaningful. I'd say probably the first four or five people, right. That came in. Um, I even remember, uh, I think Sammy, I think he was probably top three and he's a, he's a contributor now, but he was like, look, I don't know who you guys are or anything about this, but I'm in. Right. And I was just like, okay, awesome. We need people like that. Right. Um, And so those four, first four or five people, most of which are still participating in some capacity. And I think when I saw people grouping together to go and do things autonomously um, without our involvement, I was like, wow, like they met here in this community, they saw complementary skills to one another. And they're going to do this thing just on that, like didn't ask for permission, of course, like we, that's, you know, the whole reason why we're in this, right. Fully decentralized and autonomous. And they went and go did something. And now we're seeing podcasts being spun up. We're seeing, uh, I saw mock-ups for a website the other day uh, for a member directory. Like uh, th- this thing just makes me so uh, proud because um I think like that is the true unlocking of what this community is. And like, obviously our NBA banter channel goes crazy and there's trash talking in there and highlights being shared. And um, you just, I, I witnessed firsthand been th- literally thrown into the deep end on how valuable it is. And I think that's what really um, those early days, right. Is really what, what made me think like, wow, there's, there's really something here. And now obviously I'm, I'm a full believer when I see what's going on in the cross house. So had you been, at that time, had you been employed within Web3 prior to that? Or had is this like your transition from more of a traditional employment situation to, to this? Yeah, so funny. So uh, Commodore and I were actually coming off uh, a failed startup in the Web2 space. So uh, we started, uh, I think, a little bit pre-pandemic and no excuses, but timing were just like not not on our side. I think yeah. we raised a little bit of money pre pre-COVID, which is probably one of the worst times because we just had a little bit of runway. And then once quarantine started happening, everyone was like, you know, no one knew what the future held. It was, you know, kind of a chaotic time as I'm sure everyone remembers. And so we're just kind of like, not only trying to build something like getting something off the ground, but also one eye on everything that's going on in the world. Right. And so a little bit hectic and we just, we fought really, really hard. And ironically, our last pivot right before we, um, we stopped was uh, a lot about like curating information, curating information from friends and discussing it is almost like a, a really uh, uh, not necessarily we were going to add a community component, but um, kind of sharing information with your friends and have it audible and and um, and and uh, being able to be shared, you know, um, across the internet. And that's where we actually stumbled across DAOs, uh, ironically, right? So we were building a startup; it was on its way, on its way out. I think we had a maybe a month or so left of runway just trying to take this to the finish line as hard as hard as we could. So um, we were like, have you seen this doubt? Like we were, we were big into crypto, but that was our first time stumbling across DAOs. I guess it was like middle, middle or early 2020. And so mm-hmm. we were like, we were like, what is, you know, what is this? This looks interesting. Can you imagine how, and first we we're like, wait, how, how could this ever work? And then we just started re- researching it. So um, it was not previously in web three, but 
as we were as we were phasing out our our previous startup, we knew that whatever we did next was was going to be in Web three. We were just fully pilled at that point, and and we were like, hey, we're not gonna we're not gonna look back. Yeah, and had you been contributing to any DAOs kind of between um, discovering them and starting Crowdhouse? Yeah, so not necessarily contributing. I've done some very high level contributed uh, contributions at the. Uh, FWB on the on the on the product team, um, like again, not not even not too much at all. But our plan, if you remember the uh, kind of a, we were th- looking for opportunities, and there's no shortage. DAOs have a t- ton of problems right now, so we're looking for opportunities to to build some tooling. Um, so our goal was, hey, let's start one so we can get like a some co-creator experience, but also let's contribute to some. So our yeah. plan was to, was to actually like spread ourselves pretty thin and get kind of this holistic 360 view of of the of, of everything. And so because we thought that those those two tiers were different enough where they might have some valuable insight. And so, um, but but luckily, Crosshouse started started growing enough where it started taking much more of our time. We were doing this kind of part time anyway. So um, once we saw the kind of steady growth and trajectory. We didn't really have an opportunity to, to jump uh, to jump as as contributors yet. Commodore has as, is current is currently contributing to to Colony, um, so uh, he does have that experience. And like I said, I was I've been in and out of a few, doing some very minor contributions, but it's mostly been Crosshouse, to be honest. Yeah, and so I think where I'm going with that is um, when you first started having those folks uh, make contributions to Crosshouse, and um, you know having obviously become a believer in the DAO kind of organizational structure, um, but not necessarily having a ton of experience interacting with DAOs. Um, was that like, were you uneasy at all about the lack of control as a co-founder as people started making it their own as well? You know, what's funny is that I, I'm so glad for multiple of uh, reasons, but one of my biggest things that I love about DAOs is I had, I've kind of operated as kind of a DAO contributor or, or creator for a long time, even in the traditional startup space that I, like, I, I've always been a fan of autonomy and, you know, relatively, you know, flatter structures. Um, so it actually hasn't been uh, like, I, I didn't know how to articulate it. Uh, quite because DAOs didn't exist. But once I saw this, I was like, oh, I think this is how not every organization, but I think more than what we're currently at right now, I think organizations, especially in this age of post-pandemic remote digital work, uh, I think decentralized organizations have a lot of to unlock a lot of opportunity. Um, One of my favorite writers, Packy McCormick, he writes about uh, liquid super teams and how there should just be an option for people who are have a, a hard skill. Let's call them, you know, uh, say designers, right? Um, product designers. Um, during the pandemic, we saw some of them getting th- three and four jobs during the during the pandemic. And if you're skilled and can pull that off, like like by all means, go, go and do that. Um, and some people can. So I think living in this world where instead of being uh, tied to a single startup where you show up to the office five days a week uh, and kind of BS for a couple hours when, you know, on, on down weeks and have other weeks spike and, and, and go crazy. Why not contribute to three or four different DAOs in your core competency that you all, that you align 
uh, directly with the mission. Um, mm. And I think that's what, that's what truly unlocks it. So my adjustment uh, was, was totally fine. Um, I, like I said, I just operated on this nature, nature where I was hiring, you know, big teams at previous startups and, my whole MO was, was like, Hey, if I hire you and, and you're, and you know, we have that, have that relationship. I was like, I, I would urge people to experiment, try things Not everything's going to work out, but, um, but that's, that's why we're here. I didn't want to act as a gatekeeper. And so I, I think the transition has been, has been pretty, pretty good in that, under that circumstance. Hmm. Have there been any kind of paradigm shifts that you found um, that ne- maybe took longer to fully understand. And, and I think the the premise that I'm asking that from is, is that I found that even with myself and with some of the folks who have reached out to me here um, through this podcast, the idea of not necessarily knowing what the outcome is going to be when contributing to a DAO, you know, and, and kind of initiating that relationship mm-hmm. with a DAO. Um, there's uncertainty about whether or not that effort will eventually lead to compensation. There's uncertainty about whether or not there's the potential for a full-time opportunity. Um, if somebody wants to dedicate, you know, full-time or 50% time, whatever it is to one or two DAOs, um, you know, there's, there's just all these uncertainties about that effort and kind of the opportunity cost of putting that effort in. Um, and so I'm just wondering if there are anything, if there's anything like that, that kind of um, you wish you had kind of internalized or, or understood on a deeper level um, in your process here of, of building out Krausehouse. Yeah. You, you actually touch on a, on a fantastic point and probably my number one stress point um, as we as we start to scale and that there's a balancing act between and I think a lot of creators or at least early contributors uh, can can totally hear what I'm saying on this uh, there's this balancing act where where y- you want to you know do s- do some sort of treasury building um, initiative right um, because you have all these projects and you want to be able to put um, capital towards it and continue to grow just like any traditional startup would. So, um, but there is total value in delaying the token and focus on, on, on building community and ironing out things within your collective that, uh, will allow you to scale and bring in the right people. And so not minting those tokens too early where, right. Where it's just kind of seems like a, Maybe a maybe a cash grab or or um, you know you're not quite quite ready even though there's no perfect time for that. Um, but also wanting to show your community that you're serious and and compensation is there and like it is such a it's a rock and a hard place for sure. And I think um, I can speak from from the co-creator level where um, I was I've just the amount of awesome work that's been done so far with no. Uh, other than a promise that that these things are coming has like blown me away. I just mm. can't I, I can't believe that that many smart and talented people would be willing to come in and do this. It's probably five or five to ten x of what I thought it would be at that this level. And so, really, what they what they do is is I'm the kind of person where you know I want I want every single person that's contributed to know that you know this stuff is coming. So, really, it's around like. I uh, try to be as public facing as possible, right? So it's not, you know, we're not sh- sh- shadowy lurkers like, hey, who's actually running this thing? I'm trying to be as active as I can, scheduling as many calls as I can with contributors. 
knowing that we're here and probably over communicating. Right. Mm -hmm. And so saying like, Hey, here's what we have planned. Here's the roadmap. Here's the timeline. Um, obviously things are subject to change, but I think if, if I could kind of flip that, um, that, that, that insight into someone who wants to get in and wants to contribute, I would look for those things. At least if that was me, like how much are they communicating that there's a roadmap here? Um, you know, what is their open ledger look like for, for future airdrops based on contributions? Um, uh, you know, how active are the co-creators and the early contributors in, uh, in talking with the community and how, how much on the forefront of all these different initiatives are there, are they, I think once you look for those things, I think the, the liquid, like I, I mentioned this in, in one of my Twitter threads is like liquid contribution, even as someone who's joining has a lot of advantages, like in central, it's in centralized the startup world. I can't go sit at Uber for a couple of weeks and get and get paid just to see if I like the vibe and then leave. It just it doesn't work like that. So using that to advantage as a contributor, go in, see see what the co-creators are like, see what the uh, contributors are like, see what kind of things they're talking about, look at their roadmap, talk with people, and then you kind of have a low risk, high reward where you can maybe put in you know five or six hours, which you could totally get back later. But as as long as you like interacting with those people and believe in the mission, then I think it's worth jumping. In. Um, so it, it totally, totally tough. I wish I had like a, a more concrete answer, but we're at the stage of DAOs where a lot of it's experimenting. A lot of things are figured things out. So I think if you really look for that, that communication piece from the creators, I think that usually is an in, indicator for where the, the DAO or the community or collective might go. Yeah. And I, well, I think, I mean, that's been one thing that struck me so much about DAOs and, and just that transparent nature. And obviously there's a broad spectrum and just how transparent you know each one is individually but um the ones that i've been in most uh, drawn to have certainly been those with all their documents out there who you know are have open meetings where anybody can just come in and listen and, and you know effectively lurk until they're comfortable uh where the where the other members are eager and willing to speak to potential contributors um and that's been so helpful and, and there's been nothing like listening on, on as many community calls as I can get on and getting those one-on-one -on -one conversations to help me go through this paradigm shift of somebody who's been in a very traditional construction industry, getting my head wrapped around this, you know, polar opposite of what DAOs are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, that's a, that's a good, that's a good point. And I'm glad you're doing that. Cause yeah, that's, that's perfect. That's my suggestion. Anybody is just, um, before putting up too much uh, sweat equity, right? It's just hang out, look around, chat with people, try to get on as many calls as you can. Those are um, those are low effort, high impact things. And obviously, you know, rug pulling's a thing. Uh, it, it it happens unfortunately. Uh, but I think that uh, look for ways to kind of like like and, and you nailed it. Like high high uh, low impact, high effort. Uh, I think is probably the best opportunity cost you can go with there. Yeah. So. Let's, so time's flying on this on this conversation here. Let me. Um, I want to go over. You mentioned that you had taken some frameworks for, that you had learned from product and applied yeah. them to your community building. Let's um, let's touch on some of those. Can you kind of give some examples and and how you actually uh, used those frameworks successfully? Yeah, yeah. They're kind of. Um, I want to make a a, po a mirror post about this, so they're kind of just like scattered around my head. But I'll try sure. to touch as on as many as many as I can. Um, there's this thing all my engineers will will know about this and you kind of either love them or hate them, but we have these things called sprints and they're basically chunks of work um, 
normally two weeks, but I've seen one week, I've seen a month. And really what that is, is a time boxed amount of, of, of work to be done as a development team, where ideally at the end of that sprint, there's something shippable, um, even if it's not great. And so um, it's part of the agile methodology, it's really about pumping out, out software. And usually at the end of these sprints, you have a retrospective where you kind of go, hey, what went, what went right? What didn't go right? And what should we do next time to possibly uh, improve uh, efficiency? And, you know, I'm one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's another meeting, um, but I've seen velocity really start to increase if you do these retrospectives, right? Because it kind of gets everyone in a room and kind of discussing like, hey, how do we improve as a team? Um, Equate it to something like a film session and, you know, if you play high school football, basketball, or any sport, really. Um, And so for some reason, I didn't see a lot of people treating community in that sense. In fact, it's like, hey, how do you... um, you know, how do you time box these things and build a community? Because I saw this awesome tweet and I need to track it down because it, it was so simple, but so beautifully put. It says, hey, basically, um, web two product managers need to be web three community managers. And I'm like, that, that just struck a chord with me. And so I wasn't seeing too many people think of it like that, where instead of this community that's, you know, once every three months, you say, hey, are we doing things right? I try to, I do these with, we have seasons at Kraus House. And so our first one was summer league, which is maybe like two or three weeks. And then um, this one's been about three months, but I you try to use this iterative approach where every two weeks or, or every month, I'm like, hey, what seems to not be sticking well? And um, and, and what, what can we change? And so I do those retrospectives internally, but I'm thinking about going out to maybe some like committee or some guild, community guild, where we have four or five people touch base every two weeks for 15 minutes max and just go through, hey, what's working and what's not. Um, and it's been really helpful. And I'll give you one example. We started our shark sharing our things with super teams, right? We had a product team, a growth team, an ops team. Um, and I think because they were so such widespread, people had really trouble like latching on to like, hey, I'm in growth, but what does that mean? Is that social? Is that is that editorial? Is that two broad categories? And it kind of got stagnant. So we said, hey, let's do it on a project base. So we had an editorial channel, uh, a cross house website. We had uh, a tokenomics channel. And because there were smaller teams and more digestible, you saw these squads of four or five people really coming together and owning it. And then people spinning off, you know, smaller projects or smaller guilds within those small guilds. So um, we were like, oh, bite size seems to be more uh, indicative of um, of actual contribution uh, from from people. So I think retrospectives and treating it like a product, I think is a I think is a really important uh, important key. Um, another one of those is just is interviews. I think. Um, you know, I got a chance through C Club to connect with uh, Alex Zhang of FWB, and he's only been community building his whole life. And he was saying, he's like, "Hey, I try to talk to six to eight people uh, uh, a week, right? Whether they're new members or existing members." At that point, I was maybe doing one or two, um, normally two. And I was like, "Wait, I'm like, if these are essentially our customers, right? For lack of returns, like people want to come and join and believe in the mission and and spend." you know, their, their valuable time pushing this forward. I need to treat it like that. So I, I up that number to like, I I'm having around the same six, seven, eight conversations a week and saying like, Hey, like what excites you about Krausehaus? What are you doing? What are, um, uh, what's, what's not working? What's weird. You know, like, did you have any trouble doing this? Is this person hard to get a hold? Like, I just ask all these questions. And like I said, for, for 30 minutes of time, I like, 
like the amount of information I've been able to to extract from those in order to improve the community has just has just been unbelievable. It's really even hard to hard to wrap my head around. Uh, and so um, small things like that. I probably have like four or five, but um, but yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. Oh, there will be a future post, I promise, and I'll make sure that uh, I'll make sure everyone everyone has awesome. it. But um, but yeah, like uh, your typical frameworks, like even if I were to go into things like split testing and A/B testing, right, like maybe have one team try something one way and another team try something another way and just kind of like measure that with like, you know, in true scientific me- method fashion. Um, uh, yeah, I would, I would, I think like really value that. I know everyone values community, but actually like actually treating it like a living, breathing organism that can constantly be improved and tweaked, I think is, I think is a, the proper way to look at it. How much of in, in the onboarding process, um, it seems like, there are a lot, I imagine there's a high population of folks who come in just who are discovering these kind of things and, um, and opportunities kind of newly and, and get um, super amped right off the bat, but don't necessarily like may, might burn themselves out or, you know, the actual doing of the work is the challenging part. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so do you think like how much of onboarding like how, or I guess, let me just reframe the question. Where is that balance point of having onboarding be open arms versus kind of a filter to um, almost establish a baseline level of trust with incoming contributors? And is that filter even important? I, I tell you, man, you're you're asking all the right questions. Um, this is something that we are uh, like obsessed with to put mildly um i think i have a lot of thoughts around home onboarding it's the first uh tweet in my community thread that i recently put out where um we talk a lot in web3 about how broken onboarding is certainly is but if you take a step back and, and zoom out a little bit onboarding just in general in 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 life is difficult right and if you look at all these cross these scenarios starting a new job transferring schools um, you know, showing up at a dinner party where you don't really know anyone but the host, right? And um, it's it's a little bit even for the most social people, right? It's it's always a little bit, you know, treading lightly and seeing, well, what do I? Who can I kind of connect with first? And what do I do? And what's going on? What are the power roles at play here? It's like it's not fun. And so, um, what's even more so difficult in Discord is like you don't really get that IRL kind of look and feel. It's kind of just hopping in. Um, like I'm kind of a visual, like the way I can visually explain it is like, imagine showing up the first day at like a 200 person startup, walking to the middle of the room, standing on a chair and being, Hey guys, like I'm flex this. And, and it's, it's nerve wracking. Right. And that's kind of discord. You have a generic intro channel where you're supposed to go in and share your background with sometimes thousands of people. Um, it, it's, it, it's difficult, but what we're really trying to do to answer your question is that, is that we believe that it's not a kind of a, a single solution for this massive problem. I think that people who join these, there's there's archetypes, right? There's the people that will go in the intro channel, have no problem doing that and say like, here I am, here's what I do, here's what I'm interested in, who do I talk to, right? And so right now, I think that archetype is probably, um, is probably best suited for early success in in, in DAOs right now, just because that's kind of how they're set up, right? But like, what about the other archetypes? Like, that's not every person. In fact, that's probably a very specific type of person. And so, what we want to do is, is saying like, hey, like, how do we how do we 
turn that lurker into like a soft contributor and then eventually into a, a more concrete or um, or core contributor. Um, and even with the with the with the filtering, right? A lot of people who raise their hands say, "Hey, I'm willing to do X, Y, Z." Are they the right person to actually be going to do that to answer your 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 um, uh, filter question? Yeah, really tough. I think. If you look at these like lanes or kind of like this mycelial network of, of a single point of entry, like how do you how do you foster all kinds of archetypes to come in and contribute? But moreover, how do you once you have those people in the community, what's the best way to route them to get them the proper access to not only the skills that they have, but skills that they want to learn? Um, that's a whole nother insight in itself too. Where someone may come in with graphic design, but be really interested in governance. Well, okay. How do you how do you foster that? How do you get them to use their their core skills, but also expose them to to Web three primitives that might help them not only with Crosshouse but other DAOs too? So it's a really really difficult problem. I wish I had the answer, but it's something that that we're that we're quite obsessed with. And then you mentioned the commitment thing too. You're touching on a lot of key points here. It's like contribution is liquid by nature, right? It's like there's no agreement to work 40 hours a week. There's no agreement to do anything at all. So, um, you know, I'm sure every DAO has this where someone goes, yeah, man, I can design the website, no problem. And then, you know, they get busy, you know, life gets in the way, other work gets in the way, which is like not their fault, right? They're, that's, that's just the, the way of the world. And so um, how, do you, how do you keep these things with uh, relatively tight timelines and turnarounds? It's, it's difficult. Yeah, man, there's so many things that we could do, you know, probably multi-hour episodes on, um, <laughs> just even within the stuff that you just mentioned there in that answer. Um, and just thinking about it from, I think one of the main things that I've been noticing in the conversations that I've had with, with listeners is that sometimes, and this is again to the paradigm shift idea, people coming in, and I, I wouldn't want to hear your opinion on this, people coming in often are they're looking at the opportunities from the perspective of themselves, the, the person who's going to be doing the work and potentially getting con, uh, compensated for it. But a lot of these DAOs, with them being so brand new, to onboard somebody takes a, quite a bit of resources and handholding a lot of times, unless somebody is has a specific task that they want to contribute that's going to be immediately beneficial. But these DAOs don't necessarily have training teams, and the builders who are busy can't necessarily take the time out to hold hands. And so it's um, more established DAOs might be a better opportunity for a person who needs that kind of training rather than um, you know, a DAO that's brand new or only has a few members. Is, is that stuff like, are you guys thinking about, or not necessarily you guys, but are, are you seeing or hearing any discussions about having like onboarding or training teams that could be focused and kind of be a buffer between the folks who are busy building and getting people up to speed. Yeah, actually that's a, that's a really powerful insight. Sometimes I'll go through these thought experiments and I'm like, Hey, how, um, I'll go to like these extreme hypotheticals and kind of work backwards. And something that helps me like kind of think, it's almost the opposite of first principles. I'm thinking yeah. like, Hey, what's the, what's the craziest extreme example of X. And then it is that there are parts of that beneficial. And so one of the exercises I did recently, I would say a couple of days ago was um, what would it look like if half of our DAO was focused on onboarding? 
like like let's put that at 300 people right and it's yeah. a ridiculous ridiculous example but um you know would you have like what would those roles how would you divide 300 or 400 people um on as a part of an onboarding team like what would that what would that do and to your point it's like okay i'd probably split some people up doing learning materials right and like full autonomous if someone wants to come in and not introduce themselves but are interested how do you give them you know 6 hours of material they can just kind of dive head first and again that's probably a certain archetype but how do they dive in and, and really understand what to do and whether that's crosshouse specific, web three specific, who cares if you have 30 people building out uh, resource material, I think that's one way to do it. I think do, have a whole team of doing things that don't scale, calling every single member, um, having weekly new contributor calls. You have a team, probably some engineers to do things in an automated uh, fashion, right? Like. Um, I could talk about these things like smart routing. Like if you could build a lightweight algorithm that tells, Hey, um, who are you? What have you done? What industries have you been in? What's your core skill? And what do you want to get into? Like, how do you route someone that we believe would be the best person to talk to or a guild to, uh, to join? Mm -hmm. And then how do you, you probably have another people that does guild onboarding only. We've had people like teams of three join the cross house and say like, Hey, this is, this is what we do, which was super awesome to see instead of joining as an individual, they're like essentially a guild, right? Like some, it's almost like a, um, MMO RPG online, right? Like they just showed up as a, as their own little squad. Um, like maybe there's a team onboarding component. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, well, we're, we're thinking of onboarding, like, I, most of the communities I see have way less than that. Sometimes it's a single person in charge of it. And so when I was thinking, I was like, yeah, maybe there should be six or seven people, let's say, that all divide tasks into making sure that Crosshouse has the best onboarding in Web3. And what would that look like? I think it would be a little bit of automation, a little bit of things that don't scale, a little bit of um, uh, learning resources where people uh, don't have to talk to anybody. And again, accounting uh, accounting for the most type of archetypes that you can that you can do to really facilitate that, I think would help. But what I ended up settling on is like, yeah, maybe maybe there's an onboarding guild, right? And like, um, what would an onboarding DAO look like, right? Or or like basically like a horizontal. We've heard we've had people talk where say, hey, I want to master onboarding with five or six other people. Then go to each DAO, like in true. Um, like for like a mercenary basis, right? Like you go to each DAO and say like, Hey, you know, I will, I will revamp your whole onboarding structure for X amount of tokens or, or whatever. Um, I think, I think that that is ended up what we're going to do. It's funny because in traditional organizations, like a really sound onboarding system, like usually done through HR is something that you think about, you know, when you're in the 150 or maybe 300 employees, right. After a series B, um, I think DAOs kind of have to flip that. I think that would that your that core group of onboarders um, should be one of the first things that DAO think about. With our last few minutes here, I just want to touch on a, a few more of the kind of concerns that listeners have brought up, and one of which sure. is is this idea that you know with a with fully remote and and kind of a global workforce and and low barriers to entry, what do you do you think that the concern about um, this becoming kind of a a race to the bottom as far as both compensation and kind of worker protection that has been established over you know hundred years of of workers' rights movements and things like that. You know, is there a risk that you know we're kind of moving backwards in that regard? Oh, interesting. 
Um, I had not thought about that. I will be the first one to admit and raise my hand and say, I, I tend to look at this whole industry with, with rose colored glasses. Um, so I love, I love thinking like that because it's obviously not all like everything has its problems. And I think subconsciously, sometimes we choose to, um, devalue some of the problems we see just because we're, we're so focused on this. Um, that's that's interesting. If I could ask like a, a clarifying question, it's like mm-hmm. they have specific examples of, um, like, will you give me like a kind of example yeah. of, of what someone would be thinking in that in that sense of joining a DAO and like how that would negatively affect, um, yeah, uh, from like so, a workers' comp perspective. Yeah. Well, of course, there's the um, there's the compensation of just like you know somebody who lives in an expensive city requires a higher uh, a higher wage, you know, or, or higher annual income um, mm-hmm. than than somebody who lives. Uh, in a country or a place that has a lower cost of living. So first of all, if, if, if talent exists that can do the same job and one, you know, can get paid uh, $20 an hour versus $50 an hour for that same task. And the, and the results are, you know, the same product at the end um, that kind of puts a downward pressure on what's, what organizations would be willing to pay to have that work done. That's one thing. But then also, like you said about, life getting in the way, you know, maybe somebody's a, a, a contributor on whatever level, and then they need to take a couple of weeks off because of um, a birth of a child or a health crisis or something like that. Like, is there going to be any expectation that after some period off, like that they would be able to come back and kind of hit the ground running again? And I mean, things move so fast that, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's um, those kind of things are, are just, some concerns that I've heard brought up. Yeah, it's interesting. I um, I have a slightly different uh, perspective. It's it's almost it's almost it, it's funny because when you're saying those things, I'm like, wow, that that would be perfect for DAOs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think um, one of those one of those things is uh, I think that is um, one. I think one of the biggest knocks on centralized organizations. Um, and I've worked for monster, uh, corporations and I've worked for, uh, I've been the first employee at a startup before. And so, um, seeing the difference, one thing that's common all the way up and down that stack is, um, this concept of, of, of reputation, uh, is not as, as highly valued as it probably should be. Meaning that, um, it's, it's a little bit more skewed towards skills and experience than it is, uh, you know, actually, uh, thought leadership, right. You, I think, everyone can agree that um, that's that will help you with a promotion and stuff long-term, but that it, does it affect your pay day to day or, or, or what is the life cycle uh, of you really showing, you know, what you're talking about compared to compensation. And I think one's awesome about doing things on chain is that we're really thinking about a reputation based system where um, along with hard skills and soft skills and, 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 and sweat that's put into the project. It's like, um, what kind of thought leadership and reputation are you building? Right. And eventually when that stuff goes on chain, that's going to be very, very, very powerful. Um, it's really hard to get everything that you've done out on a single uh, page of a resume, but when those things go on chain, I think it unlocks a lot of, a lot of, uh, powers and it's going to be a big amplifier for people. That's going to be good news for some people and bad news for others. But one of those things is like, when you use products like coordinate, right. Which is a, um, uh, like a, a reward-based system that a lot of DAOs use, including Krauss House. It's like, I think if someone is only contributing five or 10 hours a week, 
but they're showing a lot of thought leadership and they're they're contributing ideas that lead to massively successful projects. That is equally as important as someone who is writing code or or making videos or or writing blog posts. Um, I think they're just they're just different, and I think those are kind of devalued in central organizations. And I think they're going to be probably more equal footing in, in, in DAOs. So the point to me saying that is that if you've grown this acumen across any number of different skills in um, uh, in you know the web two or whatever previously previous work that you did that you can kind of establish yourself as a core contributor based on your thoughts and principles and ideas and actually pushing things forward across a bunch of different DAOs. And that might be equally as lucrative as someone who is writing blog posts for two or three. So um, so I, I, think, uh, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities for people to, to do this, um, or sorry, to, to contribute to DAOs other than the way that people think traditionally. And so that excites me, and, and that unlocks a lot of things. I, th- I forgot what your um, uh, your second your second well, it was, one was. It, yeah, I mean, I think you're you're absolutely touching on the, the on the antidote there. You know, where it's you know reputation. I guess from from a non dev perspective, it's harder to kind of measure that impact value potentially. Um, and that's, I see teams kind of working on how to do that. You know, how, how do you measure one's impact from a non dev perspective or, you know, even like with social media stuff, you know, there's, there's, um, impression mining and things like that that can be done. But like you're saying about thought leadership, that's such a subjective, I mean, you can clearly see when somebody is contributing these great ideas versus somebody who's not like, but to measure that. And have that be applied to this reputation status um, track record is obviously a massive challenge. But it's it does seem it feels like just hearing you explain that you know it feels like part of that antidote of against you know a race to the bottom from compensation, where you know any job can just be it's kind of like the outsourcing concern where any job could just be sent you know quote unquote overseas or whatever you know. Um, sure versus uh you know and then the other the second part was just concern about some worker rights kind of things where you know if they have to be off off grid for a few weeks due to a health issue or birth of a kid or something like that that there are guarantees that you know they won't just find that they're then unemployed yeah yes yeah, good one i t- touching back on the uh on the reputation thing is like you're totally right like like Im- impact on a given project is is sub- subjective and it's, it's really hard. Uh, but I think what I like about what uh, projects like SourceCred and Coordinate are doing is that on a per project basis, you can gift you know uh, points to people based on their contribution, right? So um, you and I are on a team of three. I can give you sixty points. You give me forty, right? Because I was like, man. He crushed it like he did well that stuff uh, and and eventually will go on chain and if this project that we worked on is massively successful someone could be able to point that and be like okay he he earned the most amount of rep on this particular project um that was massively successful and changed how we did um you know user onboarding across the web3 and so um although that minute part of saying we're saying wow you you really did good here's a couple you know uh, uh, reputation points you're adding still some level of objectivity. It said, Hey, you got the most amount of points on a wildly successful project. Um, that is worth something. And I think, um, and I think 
right now there's no real way to do that um, through very archaic means, which is like, you know, resume and maybe some references. But, um, but I think web three gets us, especially with reputation going on chain, that gives us a step, a step closer to, uh, to that stuff. But yeah, it's at the end of the day, it's always going to be, it's always going to be subjective. Um, Yeah. And these are all workers. Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. 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 And the worker stuff is totally a valid point. I I don't, I won't pretend I think I have the right answer for it. Um, I think with liquid contribution in general, um, there are total downsides because not only is it a a very new uh, thing to kind of conceptualize and and wrap our heads around, but um, you know, they're like centralized organizations have been around for hundreds of years. I mean, depending on what you call an organization, right? Like thousands and thousands of years. Um, and they've, and they've, they've got us to where we are today. So not all things centralized are bad. And I think things like, if you value things like benefits and 401ks and, and perks and things like, um, uh, you know, uh, like I think workers, workers comp and uh, maternity leave, paternity leave, things like that, that they will have an advantage on DAOs, um, I don't know for how long, but that's not like I, I, all the conversation I'm saying, that's not something that we're really thinking about. I think there's um, there's one DAO that's working on like DAO HR, like they're an HR level DAO that's um, working on like insurance and benefits and things like that, which is, yeah. which would be, I forget yeah, the name of that one. I know which one you're talking about, but yeah. Yeah. That would be exciting to see. Um, but today, if someone values that, which I would totally understand, um, DAOs are probably not the way to go, at least, at least for the short term. Yeah, but I mean, to, to your point about reputation, it's it certainly seems like, yeah, if you've, well, so here's the paradigm shift. It's 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 shifting the mindset. If somebody wants to get into a DAO, they would need to shift their mindset from an employee mindset to a, a entrepreneur mindset. Where you know, if an entrepreneur you know takes two weeks off or or more, you know, due to a family emergency, it's like, yeah, that's that's life. It's unavoidable. Yes, there are going to be risks to your company if you are if it's centralized and you're responsible for 75% of what goes on there or whatever you haven't put the protections in place. So, I mean, the 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 format has is established or the mindset's established. It's just uh getting people who are who have an employee mindset to kind of realize that yeah, the, these are the risks that are associated with this outsized return potential. Um scenario. So what 100%, I think, uh, you touched on something big right now, where it's a DAO when, when Vitalik first conceptualized this idea of DAOs, the autonomous was really meant from a, from a, a technical and engineering term. Like if decisions are made, how do you autonomously, um, you know, move things around or, or disperse capital, things like that. Um, I think while we're still trying to get there technically, I think right now the autonomous part is around the human coordination and organization piece. So right now, that's a certain type of person in Dallas right now. It's someone like, it's someone, you know, even the lurkers who are not ones that are going to come into an intro channel and be like, hey, like, look at me here. Like, how do I get involved? Right. Even the lurkers today are a certain type of person where they are intrigued by new ideas. They want to see what's going on. They're explorers, right? They're the, they're the quiet explorers. And um, 
everyone who's worked at big companies know that that is not every single person at the centralized company. You, everyone has that guy on the team where you're like, I don't even know sure what they do. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone has that. And so like those people are not going to be raising their hand and wanting to join DAOs. And so um, I, there's a laundry list of of reasons why you might want to go work for a centralized, a centralized company. And like, um, I've seen on the entrepreneur side of things, I was like, I have a newfound respect for just wanting to go work at a company and get paid every two weeks and have benefits and, you know, not work over 40 hours. Like that is an awesome life. Like I would never put someone down for wanting to do that. And I think if, if you are, uh, if that is kind of your, um, your value criteria, then, um, I would probably sit on the sidelines for, for DAOs for a little bit, but we're trying to get there. We're trying to get those, you know, those people at some point. But um, I think there has to be big advan- advantages, or sorry, big advancements, um, not only organizationally and structurally, but technically as well. Of course. Well, man, awesome, big, big uh, problems to solve, and <laughs> and we touched on so many things that I want to touch on here, and and really appreciate your insight. Um, so Absolutely. thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. I, I think it it'll clarify a lot of these concerns that people have been reaching out to me about and wanted to get, wanted to get yeah. somebody who's in it's opinion rather than me just trying to, to guess. So really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. You asked some really, really awesome questions. You had some really great insights and um, you know, what you've built on your podcast and helping people with this transition to web three is massively important. And we're going to need in order to see, make this thing possible, we need millions and millions and millions of people coming over into the space and they're going to do it through vehicles like, like what you've created. So um, really awesome work. And I enjoyed it. Thanks. So we've talked, I already already mentioned your Twitter handle at flex Chapman with two X's and then uh, Krauss house. And you mentioned seed club. Is there anything else that you want to kind of promote here while, while you're on the mic? Shameless plug time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The Twitter's there. Uh, Let's see. Krauss house Dow is our Twitter handle. Um, The the Krauss house is the official title. If you go to Krauss house, our, our discord is I think pinned at the top come on in and join, introduce yourself or not. Um, feel free to reach out to me. <laughs> feel, free, feel free to reach out to me either on Twitter. Like I said, I'm being very um, uh, open with with my time because I've just seen the value. So if you want to DM me uh, either on Discord or on, uh, or on Twitter, please do. Happy to have a convo. Um, yep. Thank you so much.